Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Have a very unusual case out of California, and it's not often that you have judges who criticize each other. And this is even crazier because you have a lower court judge criticizing a higher court. Sometimes you'll see the higher courts criticize the lower courts, like when they overturn a case or something. But here, the upper court overturned the lower court, sent it back down for further proceedings, and that judge down there criticized the higher court. And it's kind of a wild case out of San Diego from the San Diego Union Tribune. Trocon and Trevor both sent this to me. San Diego federal judge blasts appeals court and steps down from pair of drug smuggling cases. So that's what the cases were about, but it has to do with sentencing guidelines. And I've talked before about the discretion that judges have when they sentence somebody. Somebody's been convicted or pled guilty to something, and it'll often say they can get anywhere from five years to 20 years for what they've done. And then the law will actually say, to determine whether they get the five or the 20 or something in between, you look at certain factors. And it's up to the judge to look at those factors, compare them to what happened in the case, because the judge is obviously overseeing this situation, and then assign an appropriate amount of punishment. And two different defendants in front of this judge appealed their sentences, and the higher court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, overturned it and said, this judge did this wrong. And instead of just redoing it, he criticized them, and it's it's classic. So a disagreement over how to sentence drug smugglers broke out in the open when U.S. District Judge said the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had undercut his authority. And it wasn't just his authority. It was the fact that he actually knew what he was doing, and he said so. And I believe he's right. So Greg Moran wrote this. Nearly every day in downtown San Diego at the federal courthouse, uh, people are charged, convicted, or sentenced for trying to smuggle things across the international border from Mexico, which is just a few miles to the south of San Diego. So when this woman was sentenced to six and a half years in prison back in January of 2020 by the U.S. District Judge, it went largely unnoticed because it happens all the time. She had pleaded guilty after getting caught trying to smuggle into the U.S. 47 pounds of uh, contraband and five other pounds of a different kind of contraband in what was another skirmish in what appears to be the never-ending war on drugs. Uh, And these are border drug busts, of course, in San Diego. So her case took on a whole new dimension in November, about two years later, when the judge wrote a 24-page order sharply criticizing the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals and their rulings in both this case and the case of another smuggler in a separate case, who ironically has the same last name as this woman, but doesn't matter. And uh, he stepped down from both cases. So the Ninth Circuit spun the case around and said, you need to resentence these two people. And when he got that order, he said, you know something? I am so disgusted by this, I'm going to step back and recuse myself and let some other judge do it. Because quite frankly, I did it right the first time. And I, again, like I said, I believe he's right. So the appeals court said that he incorrectly interpreted the federal sentencing guidelines that would have resulted in a shorter sentence for each defendant. Now, this judge is a former federal prosecutor in San Diego. He's also been a judge for 25 years. And he wrote in his most recent order that the appeals court had usurped his role as a sentencing judge and discounted his experience of presiding over 
thousands of similar cases in San Diego when it concluded he had made a mistake. And he said, my 25 years of grounded trial level experience handling border drug smuggling cases opposes the logic and impact of that conclusion. This public argument between the district court judge and the higher appeals court is uncommon. Yeah, you never see this happen like this, rarely. Uh, The judge is a former chief judge of the district. He declined to comment when asked to do so by the newspaper. It is highly unusual, if not unprecedented, for a judge to write a detailed response to a ruling from an appeals court. And by the way, he didn't have to write a response. He could have just recused himself on just a one or two sentence order and just stepped back. But instead, he signed and you know drafted this order explaining why, and he signed it and published it. In my experience, in well over 100 appeals I've done and all the appeals I've seen, I've never seen anything like it said the attorney for one of the defendants in this case, who said, it is totally unique. The dispute centers on a particular element of sentencing rules in federal court. In general, one of the factors influencing the sentence someone receives uh, is their level of involvement in the crime. In other words, were they an organizer or a leader or simply a pawn? Okay, And that is the question. Was this person a minor participant? And again, the sentencing guidelines will say, Here's the range from low to high. Here are the factors to consider. And it'll be everything from, uh, is this their first conviction or not? Were they a major player in the transaction? Um, uh, did they plead guilty or was there a trial? And all, there's a, a whole bunch of these factors that go into that. And so the real question here to the judge who oversaw the case was, was this person a minor player or did they have a larger role? And so obviously... If you're trying to to end this situation where people are smuggling stuff into the country, you want to go after the higher players more so than the lower players. I'm not saying that you shouldn't convict them all, which you should do if they're guilty. But the ones who get the bigger sentences should be the ones who are the kingpins, the leaders, the organizers, right? So the question then is this person who's in front of him being sentenced, like I said, is 47 pounds of one thing, five pounds of another, all of it bad stuff. The question is, is that a minor player or not? And he said, based on his 25 years experience as a judge and his other years experience as a prosecutor, in his opinion, and from everything he saw, that person was not a minor player. And the, and the Court of Appeals on Appeal said, no, 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 you need to take another look at that because we think they're a minor player. And so when he got that order, he said, you know something? I'm not going to do this anymore. Not, not, not in this case. And turn it over to somebody else. The appeals court said the judge had incorrectly interpreted some sentencing guidelines that would have deemed both defendants minor participants in their crimes, thus lowering their potential sentences. In the case of the woman I talked about earlier, uh, she would have been sentenced in the range of 46 months to 57 months in prison, and he gave her 78 months. The second defendant coincidentally had the same last name, but was not related, could have received a sentence in the range of 70 months to 87 and he gave them a 90-month sentence. So the court's saying, look, you exceeded the guidelines in both cases. We think that's wrong. But you're allowed to exceed the guidelines under certain circumstances. And so the judge is saying, I thought those certain circumstances were there based on my experience and knowledge. The cases were sent back down to that same judge by the appeals court with instructions to resentence both of them and specifically as minor participants. And this is a major problem. And I'm going to tell you why. When people review a case, they get the transcript. They read the transcript, they go, oh, 
I've read the transcript. Now I know what the trial is all about. Your experience of reading the transcript is not as good as the experience of a judge who oversaw the trial. So the court, on appeal, the best you can do for them is give them the transcript. Okay, and so don't get me wrong, you can get a very good feel for what the trial's all about by reading the transcript. However, the judge who's watching the trial can do things like look at witnesses and look at their demeanor. And, and, and he can look at them and go, oh, I, I think this person's telling the truth. This person's not telling the truth. Those kinds of things do not show up on a transcript. So you are supposed to give deference to the judge who's there seeing with their own eyes and recognize that the judge might have insight from being there that you don't get when you simply read the transcript. So I've always thought that courts on appeal... When they see a lower court ruling, unless there's an obvious error that appears in the record where you read it and go, it's obviously wrong, look at that, that you should let it stand because they were there. They watched the trial, okay? This judge has seen this defendant in court at the arraignment, at the trial, at the sentencing, has done everything, and all the court on appeal has done is read the transcripts and other documents sent to them. And they do lose something in translation when they're simply transcribed as words on paper. So the judge responded in his own order, saying he could not do that. In good conscience, he cannot resentence this person as a minor participant. So he made a detailed review of each case, defended his reasons why neither of these people were minor participants, and then said he could not brush aside my insights, experience, and long-held conclusions about border smuggling cases and that he had to step down on these two cases. He's going to let someone else do the sentencing. He took issue with the appeals court, concluding that he'd made a mistake in determining how the woman knew of the scope and structure of the operation and how much she was involved in the planning of the crime and how much she stood to benefit. Among other things, the judge noted was that she had admitted smuggling weeks before she was caught and that she'd been paid $4,000. Now, the man, in a separate case had been arrested for smuggling before and served three years of a seven-year sentence before being released. Those and other factors disqualified each of them from being considered a minor participant in the crime. In his order, the judge pointed to his experience as judge, presiding over numerous prosecutions of one of the biggest smuggling organizations. Uh, and this is a dominant drug cartel that controlled the Tawana Smuggling Corridor before it was systematically dismantled in a years-long campaign by U.S. authorities. And so he had worked on many of those cases. The judge sentenced many of the cartel members, including the two brothers who led the enterprise. He pointed to previous rulings that empowered trial court judges in sentencing. These precedents encouraged and directed me as a sentencing judge to draw on my knowledge of underlying facts, to apply my comprehensive experience with border importation offenses, and to rely on my familiarity with the characteristics uh, in which this offense is committed. So in his appeal, the attorney for the defendant wrote that the judge does not like minor role reduction, and everyone knows it. Uh, he wrote that there have been more than 100 appeals since 2006 on this particular judge, not crediting defendants with the minor role reduction, though he acknowledged at the oral arguments of the case in response to a question from a judge, that the judge did not have a blanket policy of always denying it in drug smuggling cases. It's just that he didn't often find it. So after the judge recused himself, 
The case of the woman was reassigned to a U.S. district judge. And on December 15th, that judge determined that the woman did indeed play a minor role and should be given that consideration. Uh, so he wound up sentencing her time served and she got out. And with respect to the other one, the resentencing will be in January. So this is one of those stories where, you know, if you look at it, and it, it does seem to get kind of convoluted and technical, the judge has 25 years of experience of overseeing these cases. He's seen a lot of these cases. He also worked as a prosecutor where he'd prosecuted a lot of these cases. So he says, look, I know this business, and this business looks to me like this woman is not a minor participant. And he's basing that on his knowledge and what he observed during the trial. Ninth Circuit Court on Appeal reads the transcript and goes, no, looks to me, and that's a problem. And so I'm going to tell you a story. I had a case years ago where someone contacted me, an attorney contacted me from another state. An attorney contacted me from another state said, I have a client who's got a case. It could be brought here or in Michigan, okay? And I'm not going to get too heavily into this because it's kind of complicated, but there were arguments being made both directions. But the client had to make a choice. Bring it in Michigan and kind of wave this stuff or bring it in this other state and kind of wave this stuff. And this attorney said, Steve, frankly, I don't know anything about these cases. I don't know anything about them. Would you be willing to handle it? And I said, yes, as long as the client's okay with it being tried in Michigan, understanding that he's actually giving up a little bit something where he could have filed it in his own state and given up something over here, right? It's a choice he's got to make. So I met with the client and also talked to the attorney repeatedly. And we all agreed that I was going to handle the case in Michigan with the understanding that the client's giving up a little something in his, in his home state. And so I handled the case in Michigan and got the guy what I thought was a very good result. My client also told me that he thought it was a very good result. And about a week later, I got a letter, an actual letter, <laughs> piece of paper in an envelope with words on it, mailed to my office. And I saw the return address and it was from the attorney in another state. And I read the letter, and it said, words to the effect of, you know, Dear Mr. Leto, uh, I've reviewed what happened with my client's case in Michigan. And I just want to let you know, I'm so disappointed. I sat down and explained to my client how disappointed I was with the result you got him. I was very disappointed. And he was clearly writing the letter for his client. He wanted his client to read this letter, and he'd cc'd it to his client. And let his client know that he didn't like the result I got for him in Michigan despite the fact that I got him a great result. And he admitted he knew nothing about these cases, and that's one of the reasons that he wanted to hand the case out to somebody else. And he wrote about how disappointed he was with the results, and he's going to have to explain to his client how disappointed he was. And unfortunately, the case is over now. There's nothing we can do about it, but boy, you really screwed this case up. And I wrote the guy a letter back, and I just said, well, first of all, the result I got him uh, was a good one. because I've been handling his cases at that point, probably about 20, 25 years. Uh, I've been handling these cases for decades, shall we say, here in Michigan. This is one of the best results I've ever gotten because of how hostile the courts in Michigan are to these cases. And I assure you, if you call anybody in this community in Michigan and say, how does this result stack up? They say, oh, it's a great result. That's a great, uh, I'm surprised by that result. I had people tell me that they thought that was a surprising result. I had people congratulate me on the outcome of that case. And so I said, you have to now, and I, I was being nice about this, because we share a client. The guy's also my client. So I, I wrote in, in my letter back to the guy. I said, well, you'll have to remember that you contacted me because you know nothing of these cases. You had the opportunity to handle this case for the client in your state, which you chose not to do. 
and handed them off to me. And then I have not heard from you since. You never once called for an update. Uh, you never checked in. I don't know that you even spoke to the client during that time. All I know is I heard from you saying I want you to handle the case because I don't handle them in my state. And now you're telling me how disappointed you are with my results. I said, this reminds me of those war movies where there's a general smoking a cigar sitting behind a big desk 300 miles behind the lines looking at a map on the wall going, I don't understand what's happening up in the sector there. Uh, get them on the phone with me and pick up the phone. And you start yelling at them about how they need to attack because he, you don't like what you're seeing on the map 300 miles away. I go, you weren't in the trenches. You, you, you weren't even checking in. And so what you know about this case uh, would appear to be de minimis. And for you to criticize the result when you don't even understand how good the result is, is actually insulting. I said, so frankly, I don't care what your opinion is of this case. Uh, if you have any further questions or comments, I suppose you can discuss that with the client. The client can contact me, but I don't want to deal with you anymore because quite frankly, this is annoying. And I CC'd the client on that. And then the client contacted me and thanked me for the letter. Um, <laughs> there's nothing worse than a backseat driver who wants to backseat drive long after the car has been parked and the race is over. Um, so when the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reads the opinion and the sentencing order and the transcript of a trial and says, oh, this judge got it wrong, they really ought to look at it and go, but does this judge know what they're talking about? Because the judge appears to have known what he's talking about. So I don't blame the judge for doing this. In fact, I, I salute the judge for doing this because he felt so strongly about this that he said, you know something? It's been sent back down for resentencing. I can't do it because in good faith, I would have to just resentence them the way I did before. Court says I can't do that. That puts me in an ethical bind. And rather than saying, fine, I'll just do what they tell me to do, like they're puppet masters, no, no. Hand the case off to somebody else, let them do it. So there you go. I salute the judge. San Diego Union Tribune wrote the story. Uh, Trocon and Trevor sent it to me. Greg Moran was the reporter on it. San Diego federal judge blasts appeals court, steps down from pair of drug smuggling cases. There you go. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. When your work speaks for itself, don't interrupt.